Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Good afternoon, Ben. How are you doing today? Doing good. A little sleepy, but uh, it's that time of the day, and it's been a busy couple weeks, but uh, how about you? Doing well, you know. It just really feels like the time's buzzing by between recording with you. It's almost like we just finished recording another podcast, like, literally seconds ago. Why would you think that is? (laughs) I I don't know, man. It's, It's funny how, you know... The the inter the mysteries of the interweb, I guess. I know it's it's magical, right? So <laughs> that's right. Well, I was uh, recent. Do you ever listen to Al Mohler's The Briefing podcast, a different podcast? Y- yes, uh, I not regularly. I used to listen to it a lot, but I did listen to it for the first time um, in a while, just last week. Okay. Talking about, he was talking about abortion and language and stuff. Fascinating, but disturbing. Yeah, I, I'm kind of on and off as well, uh, less so. My, my boss, that uh, our, our senior pastor, he listens to it every day. I was just listening to a podcast that he recorded that was dated Monday, June 10th. And in his podcast, he was referring to a uh, book and criticizing this new book related to uh, related to DNA and how DNA determines who we are. Uh, there's a new book apparently re- uh, called uh, Blueprint, How DNA Makes Us Who We Are. And uh, it was written by a uh, woman, Claire Wilson. And uh, there's a magazine, that, a new scientific magazine, that kind of interviewed her to get the, th- the main points of the book. And he was really criticizing that interview because uh, this woman uh, argued that basically parents have almost no impact on, uh, on their kids. Parents, she said, have substantially less impact on their kids than we thought. Uh, and, you know, I would assume that you and I pretty strongly disagree with her on that, right? Yeah, I guess she leans pretty far on that whole nature thing and not the uh, the nurture end of it. But, I mean, the parents do contribute the DNA, so. <laughs> they do, yes. Uh, but, you know, I think it is interesting. She goes too far in one end, but I think it's possible to go too far in another end in thinking that without the right parents, without the right spiritual parents, that a kid can't be discipled. A kid can't grow in the Lord. And almost a case without a parent being serious about this is a hopeless case. But do we uh, do we think that that's realistic? I mean, are kids that don't have parents that actively disciple them hopeless? Uh, no. Uh, now I think that there are. Uh, it, it does bring some challenges for sure, but they're certainly not hopeless. All of us stand before the Lord as individuals, um, and our parents, and our family, and our church, and even our DNA. I do think you know, we're given. Uh, have tendencies towards certain kind of traits and personalities and, and sin struggles on um, that plays a role but we um and we have a, a an accountability to the for the people around us to some extent uh, but god's grace is greater than parents failures and um so yeah that's not the final determining factor yeah 
Uh, I want to ask, though, with our podcast, we've been doing this for a little while now. Uh, it's hard to believe, you know, we are that to the episode we recorded, I think, uh, just not long ago was episode 71. So this should be episode 72. Uh, and do you think if we keep doing this maybe for a couple more years, every parent, uh, every Christian parent, and maybe even every non-Christian parent will start, start, start discipling their kids in the truth? I think it's very likely. Okay. 90% you think probably? I mean, I think it's probably a reasonable estimate, just, you know, being <laughs> modest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, no. <laughs> I think uh, for us, I think we see success as maybe a few dozen more parents will uh, take up the work of discipling their kids, or maybe some of that, some of those that are will take it a little bit more seriously. But we even anticipate, you know, the vast majority of people uh, of uh, Christians even will not take upon this task. So most kids are kids that are not being raised by parents that are intentionally discipling them in the truth of the Lord, right? Um, I mean, I guess I don't have stats on it, but uh, quite a few for sure. And in what kind of cases would this even be unrealistic to expect that kind of parental discipleship apart from some kind of miraculous change? Well, I mean, you know, if parents have not subscribed to the podcast, um, I think it's, un you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think just a lot of families, normal life gets in the way, the cares of this world, the worries of this age, Jesus talks about in the parable, the sower and the seeds and the soils, um, you know, people becoming parents who aren't believers. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of factors that can go in there where it's not probably the, the most likely thing that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we tend to, when we talk in our podcast, we refer, we tend to almost assume a two family household. And I think probably two parent household rather. And I think probably the majority of our listeners, that's the case. I know that we have some listeners that that's definitively not the case. Uh, but the reality is single parent homes won't look like how we tend to describe it. You know, uh, a lot of times, you know, our calls dad, go take up and lead in this kind of way. It's not directly going to apply in that way to a mom that's, uh, that's, that's uh, running her household by herself or, you know, vice versa. Uh, but also in cases like, you know, where kids have really even lost parents, uh, uh, cases where a child is orphaned and even, the orf even in the uh, adoption system, maybe a child that is uh, right now with, uh, with adults that are, are gladly serving the Lord or even just serving themselves uh, by being foster parents to a child. Uh, but kids sometimes also don't have traditional parents. I mean, I know of a case of godly, uh, of godly grandparents that were raising up and trying to raise up in the Lord uh, their grandchildren that were living at home with them because of some uh, unfortunately difficult situations where they were raising their grandchildren rather than the parents raising those children. Yeah, and that's, I mean, we have situations like that in our church, and um, I, my sister actually went to school with a girl. She was being raised by her great-grandparents um, because, you know, her mom was not in a great place in life, and then her grandmother, I think, was had cancer at the time, and so the great-grandmother was the next one in line, and she and her husband were, you know, they were, I think, probably at least in their 70s, at, and this the girl was in first grade, and so, I mean, they they were with her all the way through high school, and yeah. um, I think her 
uh, I think the, the great grandmother just died a few weeks ago because they went to the viewing. Um, but you know, people were making heroic spiritual effort to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not ideal circumstances. So we did mention that, you know, kids aren't a complete loft girls. They're not a hopeless case if they don't have parents that are doing this. Uh, but do you think that kids uh, in these kinds of cases are guaranteed to be worse off uh, as kids or even worse off uh, one day as adults if their parents aren't actively discipling them compared to the uh, child whose parents are diligent in this? Sure, there's a real chance of of that happening, of kids being worse off. But again, God's grace is greater. And, um, you know, we, even the Old Testament talks this, even though there's more of a corporate awareness uh, and people rising and falling corporately, um, in the prophets you see this where it talks about, you know, that um, people being punished for their own sins or uh, being rewarded for their righteousness based on their own life, but that someone else is not directly going to be judged by that. And so um, just because you don't have the ideal set of circumstances does not mean that, um, you know, these kids are automatically just going to, you know, be degenerates. Yeah, I agree. I think some overt examples. So I was reading a book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, last, I think it was probably Thanksgiving time. And uh, that's by a guy who has since gone to be the uh, with the Lord named Nabil Qureshi. Uh, died of a fairly young age of cancer. And he tells a story of how his parents uh, had... And even to the point, I think he'd be right and had not trusted in the Lord as, as, as their Savior. And this man, I mean, people who knew him really testified how godly uh, Nabil Qureshi was. How, I mean, sincere in his faith and how his maturity in the Lord uh, really outpaced a lot of his friends. And a lot of people who had been raised uh, raised by Christian parents that discipled them. Uh, and so by no stretch is there a guarantee that people will be worse off. Uh, he's used unchurched people in amazing ways and leading people to the Lord even. Uh, but I think, like you did mention, you know, oftentimes, you know, they're, they're going to be in some ways at a disadvantage. Uh, and I think even proverbially speaking, thinking in terms of proverbs, which are general truths that are not complete, uh, always the case without exceptions. Uh, and proverbially speaking, they will be worse off on population level if they don't have parents that are discipling. You know, if you look at enough people, I think there's going to be no question that the bulk of Christian children that are raised in parent and households where parents are actively discipling them, that they're going to be better off. But that doesn't mean that it's every single time. And I think the reason why is God is not uh, that uh, God is sovereign. It's not our efforts that are sovereign. God is far bigger than our efforts. And so God is fully capable of, of uh, raising up an Apostle Paul who clearly had did not have this context of being actively discipled by uh, newly saved Christian parents that followed Jesus during his lifetime or something like that. That's a good point. Um, yeah, and I mean, talking about Paul, you can go to Timothy. Now, Timothy had the benefit of his mother and his grandmother were believing but you get the the sense that his father did not, and yeah. so dad wasn't spiritually leading the home. Um, now, again, that's not uh, that, and that could fall within the parameters of what we're talking about. Yeah. So. Now, um, does our emphasis on family discipleship that we do with the TFM does 
our fundamental work with TFM actually hurt these kind of kids, Ben? Not necessarily. I mean, I think that those kids can still be ministered to by believing families and by believing kids and or parents. Um, and whether it's our own churches or those that are listening who, you know, take something away from um, what we're talking about, it may mean that a church uh, puts its limited resources in, in terms of people and time and money into more family-oriented ministry than just ministry that's geared towards kids and towards mm -hmm. uh, teenagers. But every church has to make those decisions on, on how they're going to spend their time and their money. Um, and so you can't say yes to every ministry opportunity. Uh, just nobody can. No, by no stretch. Yeah, I like your answer there. Uh, I would add to that, uh, I do think if we idolize traditional families, I think if anyone that's big in family discipleship really idolizes this traditional family and makes it into something that's of more importance than even the Bible portrays upon it, I think it can. But I don't think that's ordinarily the case. Uh, I think we can sometimes, if we're not careful, we can make some people feel like they're left out on this emphasis, or sometimes even people might feel like uh, they're hopeless case because of how much we uh, lift up the role of parents. But I don't think there's anything inherent in that, and I, I just think we need to be mindful, rather, when we do it. Yes, I like that, the idolization. And I have I, seen times where I've been concerned um, at how much emphasis a church might put on the family. Yeah. So with that uh, said, how can churches be sensitive to these kind of cases without at the same time compromising a vision for family ministry so that they can have a high view of family ministry, really embrace this without uh, being insensitive at all? Well, I think you could pray that God gives a burden to, to some in your church um, to fold such such young people into their lives. Um, look, just keeping it before you, trying to send godly adults their way. Um, don't expect the, the younger person to, to gravitate to them, though they may in some cases, um, but if, if a, a godly adult is investing in them, uh, and again, you have to be very careful about what that looks like. Um, but I think that there are ways, even in the culture we live in and, and the need for safety and, and all of this, um, that it can still be done. And just keeping it in front of of the church and um, like you were talking about just a minute ago, not idolizing intact families, you know, sitting around doing family worship uh, as and thinking that that's all that ministry to family involves. Like that's the final goal. Um and I know I listen to the D6 podcast some, and in their intro they have I don't know who it is, but somebody talking about you know that the end goal of family ministry is not families sitting around the the couch or whatever uh, singing kumbaya. Mm -hmm. It's about families making disciples who make disciples, and uh, and I like that what he's saying there because it's not just about you know mom and dad and and two kids or seven or how many ever, um, and they can recite catechism questions and this kind of thing, um, but that they are seeking to to help each other follow Jesus as they help others to follow Jesus. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so I, I'd add just a couple things to that. I think one thing a church can do to have both of these at the same time is I think that in their em an emphasis on family discipleship, 
I think we should celebrate all parental figures, all people who do that hard work, even if it's just temporary like foster parenting, uh, the hard work of raising up children in the Lord. Uh, and I think especially do this with the kids around. You know, if you're doing children's ministry, if you talk about, uh, I mean, about how we honor, fa- honor dads on Father's Day, this is being recorded before Father's Day. Uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. You can also say, you know, that uh, if, if you don't have, you know, if, if your spiritual leader is your grandfather or your best friend's dad or something like that, we can honor them. And so I think being inclusive and bringing up some of these untraditional and not, not as a way of shaming them, but as a way of, of celebrating all kinds of parental figures that God certainly uses. Uh, and I think also we don't enforce things that the Bible doesn't require because I think sometimes when we do that, that could um, cause that kind of thing, that could cause uh, being un- insensitive to untraditional cases. Uh, so for ex- one example of that would be at our church, we do on Wednesday nights for the youth, they all get these discussion points for the roads. Say they're called car combos. I make these car combos every week. Some discussion points related to the the youth lesson that we just had. And I encourage parents to do them with their youth, and some of them do. But it would be wrong for me to tell them you have to, because the Bible doesn't say you have to do car combos from Pastor Tony. Uh, and it would be wrong for me to say, you know, that if your household's a household without somebody who's going to lead in that uh, in car combos, that there's something inherently wrong with your household. That's a good point. Yeah, you can't put something on someone's conscience that the Bible doesn't. Um, but I, I do really like what you're saying about trying to honor and hold up all those that are in those parental roles of influence and authority um, and celebrating that, thanking God for it. And how do kids in broken homes uh, or uh, with lost parents even that don't know the Lord behave a little different at church sometimes when we have these kind of people in church? (laughs) Well, they might curse. They might have outbursts of anger. um, They might be disobedient or disruptive. uh, But that could be from believing homes too. Um, you know, they may be lost in what you're doing. Uh, they may question what you're talking about, whether they're just inquiring, like, what do you mean? Or they're actually actively challenging it. Um, I mean, it, it can take, I've seen it take form in a lot of different ways. So back when I was a kid, uh, I was involved in the Awana program that our church had. And there was an apartment complex right next to the church. And the kids that, that came from those apartments often were a little bit rough, came from kind of rough homes. And um, I remember getting frustrated. And I mean, I was a young elementary kid, but I remember getting frustrated because we'd have to stop at times and uh, we couldn't keep playing our game or whatever that I wanted to win at because some leader had to go deal with a discipline problem, you know, with the kid that was yelling at somebody or cursing or just not listening. Um, and then, I mean, I, in my own ministry, I've seen some of of, of those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, it's just a reality that you've got to deal with. But again, it's not just, it's not that, you know, the kids from unbelieving homes, they're inherently worse. There's, I have problems sometimes with kids that come from believing homes as well. Yeah. Yeah. So one sense, a couple things I'll add to that is I think you do have some of those struggles, but also in some ways, I think there can be a blessing of these kind of untraditional uh, situations. I think sometimes church church kids can uh, have an attitude that, you know, 
that they can't share, you know, some, some of the deeper struggles, like, you know, that almost, almost hide things, you know. And so they rely upon the unchurched people or the less church people to be a little bit more honest about, you know, I, I know of a case uh, where we've had an unchurched person uh, that visited our youth group and uh, they, uh, I was teaching a lesson, I was interacting with the youth and they just, I don't believe that. And, uh, and I wonder, you know, sometimes I wonder if some of the church kids also just don't believe it, but they don't want to say it. And I think it allows you to have more deep interactions uh, that you wouldn't have if uh, you only had the church-type kids. Uh, but I, I do think, I mean, they also won't get church language. They won't get these churchy uh, language that we like to use, you know, even some big right theological terms. They will have no idea what you're talking about if you talk about sanctification, and you need to be very mindful of that. I think that's a great point because you can run into that with small children as well as youth, um, just using some of the common Christian vernacular. And I mean, sanctification is a biblical term, but even some of our more churchy, um, pious language, um, you know, surrender is one that's very popular around here. Now, I think they may be able to get a little sense of that. But you start talking about, um, you know, being led by the Spirit or, again, that's biblical language. Um, Yeah asking Jesus into your heart, things like that. Yeah, I think you just have to be very careful. Yeah. So um, with all that said, uh, is it possible to actually do both of these things? To be a church that reaches more unchurched kids while at the same time uh, being a church that projects strong focus on parental discipleship? Can we have both of those realistically? Sure. I mean, with God, all things are possible. Um I think the key, you don't make family ministry the main thing, though we think it's important, but you make Jesus and his gospel the main thing. Um, And, you know, how you're talking to and teaching and preaching and counseling and ministering to uh, younger people within that framework is going to to sound different than to their parents anyway, though you are trying to point out – point them to their parents regularly and to esteem their parents, um, you're not so much talking to the kids about their parents' job to disciple them. Yeah. you know. And so you can still have fruitful ministry to unchurched kids um, even while you are putting a heavy emphasis on family and, and parental um, spiritual nurturing. Yeah, that's good. So one actual overt example of this I, I know of is, uh, you know, I haven't been to Dallas in many years, but I, I know of a lot about God's work through the Village Church in, down in Dallas, uh, Texas, uh, Matt Chandler's church. And I know that church is a church that really heavily emphasizes family discipleship for parents, but at the same time, it is a church that is known for reaching a lot of unchurched people, including unchurched children. And so I think that's, even if that's just one example, it's an example that it's not mutually exclusive by any stretch of the imagination. But I actually even think like an emphasis on family ministry, uh, a strong focus on parental discipleship can even sometimes, especially in today in a time where parents that aren't church are going to be less trusting of the local church, might even help our witness to the to their kids, might make it them more willing to uh, trust uh, trust us with their children because they know that we're a people that that really talks up the role of parents, that really uh, tells the kids how important the role of parents are, and we're a people that communicate with parents like nobody else does. And I think that can actually even add to our witness to kids. I think that's an excellent point. 
How can parents who do disciple their kids help their kids be patient and kind to those other kids in the church, the other kids that are difficult, those kids that without without the Christian parents? Well, you want to work at cultivating humility and thankfulness at God's grace to them. I mean, assuming that the child's a believer. But even if not, I mean, probably their behavior at church is going to look a little different. And so um, that's you're just trying to, to help them see, like, you don't deserve God's favor and his grace and his mercy. You may want to take them to the Pharisees um, and how they have this condescension towards others and just working to help them see their own hearts. And, and, and I think there's a place, depending on their age and maturity level, um, at pointing out some of the different factors that distinguish one's home life from the other and helping maybe cultivating some compassion for them um, and encouraging them to look for ways to bless those other kids. Yeah, that's great. I, I would add to the to this. I mean, we need to teach our kids that church is a place for the sick. And it's the place for the sick because we're all sick. We're all spiritual sick. We're all sinners. Uh, and uh, with that, you know, the sin of the uh, unchurched might be a bit different than the sin of the church kids. But And I think we tend to project these kinds of sin as being the worst sins. But unchurched, unchurchy, non-churchy sins aren't necessarily worse. Uh, and so there are some times that, you know, that church kids might be the worst gossip on the block, uh, but they're not going to be transgender in the way that, you know, a, uh, that an unchurched kid might be. I might identify uh, against the gender that God has created them in. Uh, but, uh, you know, we might act like, you know, oh, oh, we have our kids prepared to react vitri- and vitriol towards uh, this unchurched kid with a sin that's a little, really different. But the Bible does not portray it that way. The Bible, in fact, is so strong against some of the sins that are, are prevalent even in our churchy kids and uh, our churchy selves that some it says little the little sins that we don't talk about much, like gossip, are very much worthy of the wrath of God in the same way that the unchurchy sins are. That's that's a really good point. Uh, things that we find more acceptable, um, we're a little gentler with, and then those other things where it's like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe you. Um, now, when I was younger at that same church, there's a good church, um, but so I'm not trying to rip that church, but it was a King James only church. And uh, I remember being like in middle school and some people showing up with like the new international version in Sunday school and they'd read out loud and it was like, did you hear that? Like, what is wrong with them? You know, and so, and then this is kids that actually showed up with the Bible, not kids, you know, came up and dropped the F-bomb during Sunday school. So, um, but yeah, it, it just, kids are, their maturity levels going to be lower. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, how can parents... Uh, envelope these kinds of kids into these friends of their kids that don't know the Lord uh, into their own families and discipleship? Um, I think, you know, showing hospitality towards those kids and seeking to try to show it with their their families as well, getting to know the families, Um, but showing interest in the kids, uh, trying to have conversation, uh, offering them rides to church, even including them in family worship when they're in your home. Uh, and trying to have spiritual conversations with them. I think those are some pretty just mundane things, um, but just trying to mesh their lives some 
with your own kids and, and trusting that the Lord will give opportunity for godly character to come out, but also for direct spiritual truth to be shared. I think you've got a lot of good points. And I really like your emphasis on the hospitality in that, you know, and, and that there's a need to, I mean, not just effectively bring in, but literally envelope in uh, these kind of kids. And so it's funny because I think that uh, sometimes Christian households can be the most reluctant to have a non-church, uh, a non-church teen or a non-church kid or the lost neighbor into the household. But I think we need to be the kind of places that welcome in, that bring in even the uh, friends of our kids that we're not necessarily the world's biggest fans of so long as we, and, and that's a discernment issue, you know, uh, but I think we can love on and bring in in a way that tries to really reach and tries to disciple them. Uh, so I, um, uh, I I know of a uh, case uh, that uh, some uh, some friends of ours uh, that really in, tries in, has invited uh, neighbors over for uh, during their times of family worship. Uh, some neighbors that are lost, and it was really even enveloped them into that act of family worship as a way to disciple even the neighborhood, as a way to bring on even unchurched kids and share that same gospel hope that they're sharing to their own children. I think that's a great example of it. Uh, and Because I think really, then in that case, it can be a spiritual seedbed for these kids. It can be the uh, bedrock from which these lost kids, these unchurched kids that may even be one day allowed to go along with you to church if their parent is on board with it. It can be the way that they see their connection to the faith. Mm. Yeah, that's good. And how can adult Christians act as spiritual mothers and fathers of uh, teenagers without mothers or teenagers without fathers who disciple them in the word? Some of you know the things we just talked about are some excellent ways. Um, I, I think especially as the kids get older and just sort of forming more mature relationships, letting them know that you're there to talk about life in general to them, um, that you're a supportive adult because um, kids are going to kid, whether they're younger kids or teenagers, I mean, they're going to appreciate someone who seems to have things together, um, has some wisdom and, you know, especially depending on the level of brokenness uh, that they experience in their home. And, and, and neither one of us think that everybody that's lost that their home life is just this, you know, train wreck. Um, God gives common grace, and so that's not the case. But depending on how sin works out in that home, they may be looking for some sense of stability. And so um, as they see you, just trying to engage them in relationship and knowing, okay, I, you're a safe person I can talk to. Um, you clearly you show love for me, and um, you're trying to, to get me to talk about these spiritual things. I think often that they will open up with time. That's good. So one thing I find so fascinating is how the Bible actually addresses this kind of thing. Uh, we read the book of Titus, and Titus chapter 2 seems so unfamiliar to how we tend to do children and youth ministry. But Titus 2 uh, refers to acts of, of older women mentoring younger women. Uh, and older men mentoring younger men. And that assumes, I think, that in these are cases in which the older older people are also spiritually more mature. Uh, and I think this is really cool because this isn't just saying, go to your youth pastor, go to your young adult pastor. And probably the young adults, the young men and the young women would have been uh, young teenage uh, fathers and mothers uh, who in their society were relatively normal, but probably teenagers nonetheless. And I think we can have this kind of Titus II type mentorship 
where we have older men in the faith come alongside uh, younger men, come alongside teenage guys and, and really mentor them and really take time to supplement the work that the parents do and supplement the work that even like the pastors do and being an encouragement as well as uh, older godly women towards uh, teenage girls as well. So uh, one example of this as well in my in my own life story, I remember that there was this family in our church and the youth group in my church back in northern Illinois when I was growing up. Uh, and it was really mature, one of the most mature uh, families uh, that that we I'd really gotten to know, just really great family. And they would often invite us over. They would invite me over for their small group sometimes uh, that they had with other people, but I'd get to stay sometimes for dinner. And I mean, the both the mom and the dad of that family really, really loved on me, and especially the father. And I remember the ways in which I really looked up to this guy. He was kind of like a spiritual uncle to me. Uh, as I, and I saw a lot of the ways that he discipled his own kids, and I thought it was an example of what I might want to do one day. Uh, but I, one other seemingly random thing that I think you can do practically uh, to act in these kind of roles, to build at least towards these roles, might be with a teenager, uh, take on your time and maybe hire one of the of the church teen girls to babysit uh, your kids. Uh, maybe hire one of the church teen guys or girls to mow your lawn uh, and build that relationship with them, uh, where you can, where uh, that they know that you care about them, they know that you show them respect and honor, and so that you can head towards that kind of Titus two relationship. That's a really good point. Yeah, I like that idea. And how can we help uh, these untraditional kids and teens embrace their moms and dads in their God-given roles, even when they don't know Jesus as their parents? I think you want to just regularly, with everything, you're pointing them to God's Word. What does God's Word say about you know, the relationship that you have, what role they have, and, and help them to see that these parents are God's gift to them. Yes. Um, even though they're not believing, they are still God's gift to them, and they may have some wisdom on matters that even though the kid has the Holy Spirit and the parent doesn't, the parent has, has learned some things about how life works and um, can be a blessing to provide for them, to protect them, and, and to genuinely to, to love them. Um, I think you want to regularly speak of parents with respect uh, and I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, your your loser dad, and encourage the the kids to pray for those parents, you know, in hopes um, that they would love those parents more rather than growing bitter towards them or proud towards them. Yeah, that's good. I I, I really like their answer, and I think it really uh, I think answers that sufficiently. And how do we then equip? Uh, that untraditional parental figures, whether it be the foster parent, whether it be the grandparent, or whatever it is, to disciple the next generation, even if they're not a traditional parent? Well, I think you want to look to identify who those folks are and to engage them, you know, let them know that you know they're there. You know, something that we've found somewhat helpful here is doing workshops when possible. And we try to I try to make sure that I'm including others who are not just parents, and even in the the um, the language that we use. I don't always do this, but you know, parents and guardians or things like that. Um, but I think that that personal element of oh, I know that you're trying to invest in your grandchild or your niece or whoever it is, um, and just making it a point to to reach out to them, um, to resource them. 
uh, whether it's through recommendations or actually giving them material, like, hey, this is something, or hey, you should listen, should listen to the TFM podcast, or you know, whatever it is, um, and address them publicly, whether you know, in writing or um, speaking situations, just acknowledging them um, and encouraging them in God's power and His love to use their influence, um, whether it's they actually, you know live with the child or they're just invested in the child's life that, you know, God can take that and use it. Yeah. So I, I heard you saying a lot of the same things I think that you would say about a traditional family. Uh, and I think that's great because I think that's something that we really need to hit on. A lot of times untraditional parental figures uh, don't feel like they're included in a lot of these parental dis- discipleship discussions or really included and considered truly parents. Uh, I think they often will feel left out. And so we should invite them to these same kind of things. Uh, and they actually might shock you. I've known of people that have led family discipleship type of seminars that have found that untraditional parents are sometimes substantially more receptive of going to that kind of thing and taking up the challenge. But we have to, I think, do this kind of call slowly and patiently because, you know, a lot of times when untraditional cases come, you know, they might be battling with some difficulties that the vast majority of us would not experience. And they might, you know, even an age situation. They might have to uh, be raising up grandkids, but at the same time dealing with their adult, the adult uh, children of their own, of themselves, dealing with their own adult children rather. But I think along those lines, we need to encourage them in their special hard task. And I don't think untraditional parental roles get enough encouragement sometimes because really what they do is incredible. And I think we should go out of the way and find these kind of cases and just tell them how extraordinary we think this work is. And I think when we do that, they might be considerate of doing even more intentional work of spiritually discipling these kids. Yeah. Yeah. I I like what you said. But going kind of a step further, how do we cater our family discipleship efforts to non-Christian parents? And is, or is this just a total waste to do that kind of thing? Um, I've heard the analogy used of sometimes in a, in a conversation where you're trying to be evangelistic. Um, you know, you can't always necessarily get all the content that you're, you're the truth you're trying to share, but you try to put a pebble in their shoe that they have to tend to. And so, mm. you know, looking to try to engage them in conversation and ask provocative questions when you have opportunity. Um, and I think even doing some counseling or making it known that you're available to do some counseling, whether it's related to, to the child, marriage, depression, anxiety, I think those common things that you'd see, um, that can be a, a way kind of in the door. Um, sending items home, whether it's paper handouts, emails, text, um, just looking for ways to communicate to them. Uh, but I think that just trying to get them to think about their own souls and then how, you know, their child's soul and how they have a role in that. Um, and I can't say that I've done this with, you know, great uh, success, but um, that's, you know, something that I, that I have in mind. Yeah. So we had a uh, case at a previous church I was at. I remember uh, where it was pretty clear it was non-church family, and I was glad to have them visit uh, for kind of complicated reason. And uh, at the church I was at before, we would always give out a physical copy of uh, these take-home sheets, uh, just because so it got right in people's hands. It was kind of intentional on that reason. 
and uh, we had this family visit. And I, I part of me was debating why do, do I even bother? You know, it's just a way to even give it to this person. Uh, and a lot of people didn't get around to doing it, period, that were even Christians. And I gave it to them. And I remember I conversed with the, this uh, parent, these parents later on. Uh, and I found out that they actually did it. They took it seriously. And they're really even thankful for these take-home sheets related to the lesson. And they worked on that work. And that, so they got that teaching, really. And they were encouraged in their role as a parent in a really exciting and, and surprising way. And I want to ask, though, further, can this even be an evangelism opportunity in these kinds of cases? Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I think just it can so naturally flow um, because people tend to associate Christianity with morality and behavior. And yes, there is definitely that's there. Um, but parents may even want their kid to go to church to get some you know, moral instruction, maybe get the fear of God put in them kind of thing. And so that can just you can trace back your steps to the source of that and to the bigger questions. And so it can become um, a very um, just natural evangelistic opportunity. Yeah. So our church uh, supports Child Evangelism Fellowship, and that does a lot of really good work. And I've got a close friend, uh, Stephen Davis, that uh, we actually had on the podcast and talk about Child Evangelism Fellowship. And Child Evangelism Fellowship, I've watched some of their videos, some of their testimony videos of their work. And they had a, a woman, I think it was a Muslim woman background, uh, Muslim background, and she had a trusted her kid to go to a after an after school bible lesson thing that that good news club they're called that cf was doing and she told the story of how she got these communications of what they're teaching and basically she ended up trusting in the lord becoming a christian because of this kind of communication because of the message that her child was receiving and then she received it in the parent follow-up material and she became a christian because of it so i think very clearly we can have examples just like that i'm not going to say that we always will but there's always hope that that kind of case could happen even through our efforts of parental discipleship yeah, I mean, that's the Lord can use so many different things. He certainly can. So, well, it's been a good discussion, and I hope this is an encouragement to cases where people might not taking take this actively as much as we might hope. But I also think, as much as we say, uh, say today in our podcast that uh, cases where people aren't discipled by their parents are not hopeless. We think it's a good and very God-honoring work to disciple your children. And, and I really want to call on upon everybody who listens to try to be more intentional each and every day in the discipleship of the next generation, whether you're working in children or youth ministry, or whether you're a parent, or whether you're just listening to it and you might babysit your niece or nephew once every six months. Yeah. Yes, please be encouraged and, and keep at it. Well, good discussion with you today, Ben. Yes, it was. Thanks for bringing up this topic. God bless. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.